think that's actually why Kylie and I work so well together because if I make any mistake, there's no way I can get away with it. She will like 100% bring it up in the best of ways to, to make sure that I learn from the experience. Yeah. So we're always reflecting. We're always kind of taking a pause and saying what went wrong? How can we improve and make this better? Even if it's a small thing. And I have grown so much from that. And I think it's helped the company. It's helped me personally. It's just like beneficial all around. Um, so I really appreciate like everyone makes mistakes. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. The podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this show, go to our website, myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experienced with an ED. And click on podcast. Scroll down to this episode, other episodes. We have all the different platforms you can download from there. And of course, if you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, go back to the homepage, click find a trusted professional. We'll make sure that you get somebody that can handle all your buying and selling needs. But today we're here with Kylie and Adele. Welcome to the show. Thank you. How are y'all doing? Great. It's awesome to be here this morning. Well, I start every one of these off with a dad joke, only because when I first started this a year and a half ago, my father-in-law said, you got to start everything off with a joke. So I intentionally do bad jokes. So that way when he listens to this, it annoys him. Awesome. So you ready for this? All right. Why did the son skip college? The son, like S-U-N. Because it was too bright. It was too bright already. Yeah. It was close. It, it already has a million degrees. Ah, uh, okay. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, no, I am not known for my stand-up comedy, I can I can assure you. So for the audience, I got to meet these fabulous people this last Thursday at TCU's Value and Ventures, uh, which uh, if you've listened to previous episodes and audience out there with Matt Smiler talking about where this is kind of a challenge, right, where... The how many how many groups actually get the invitation to poll? Yeah, so I think about 250 teams apply, and there's 42 finalists that go to the final the semifinal round that we just had. Um, and then within those 42 teams, eight make it to the final round. So we were one of those eight finalists. And then we're going to come back and talk about how y'all finished out. So a lot of competition, and these are entrepreneurs from all over the U.S. and universities that have put you know, programs together, business ideas together, businesses, business plans, so forth, so forth, to come and compete. And so Thursday, I was, uh, they had a, uh, uh, I had uh, MBA uh, board meeting Friday, and they had all the different boards, a happy hour thing in downtown. And at the end of it, uh, I knew that Matt was hosting his events, went over there to say hi. And then that's when Opie, James Fair, said, hey, you got to meet the team that I'm mentoring this year. And uh, and so that's when I got to meet y'all. And we'll go in and talk about what it is that y'all's business does. Uh, but what I was also very impressive is y'all go to a school that nobody's ever heard of, right? <laughs> Not, quite. Not quite. Not quite. So what university is it that y'all are currently at? Yeah, we attend Cornell University. Cornell. Cornell University. Man, that's like ranked pretty high up there. 
little bit. It's okay. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, not a lot of competition to just get accepted. Well, right. It was a tough process. <laughs> so, what? Where is Cornell ranked now? It's like. Um, it depends on the school, because mm -hmm. um, there's different colleges within Cornell University. So the engineering school um, that I'm in, I know is ranked very highly. I'm not very sure on the other ones, but all of them are rank ranked very high. I mean, it's an Ivy League university. Yeah, it's like top 10 or something like that. Universities around the U.S. and very competitive. So now, can I start with you? Where are sure. you originally from? And then how did you get to your path at Cornell? Yeah, this is fun. So I'm originally from very rural Wisconsin. I'm from a hometown of like 4,000 people. Um, no one from my high school graduating class or the one ahead of me, to the best of my knowledge, um, went to any Ivy League school. Um, so the way that I even learned that Cornell existed was it was on my bucket list to apply to one Ivy League school during my senior year of high school when I was applying to these things. And I actually like Wikipedia'd what are the Ivy League schools. And then I remembered that one of my cousins actually went to Cornell and did architecture. So that is how I picked that the one Ivy League school that I applied to would be at Cornell. Um, and then I asked him um, to like read my essays and whatnot. He gave me some help, but very, very terrifyingly from my point of view, he actually gave most of his feedback and really kind of tore apart my essay <laughs> after, after the essay deadline. So I'd already submitted the thing because I didn't want to be late, of course, on the college essays. And then like two days later, I got an email from my cousin and he's like, oh, this is a great start. Here's 15 things you can improve. And I was like, that that ship is sailed. Like Cornell's going to find all those things. I ain't getting in. Yeah. But then I did. So it was great. <laughs> great. And so you, what what year are you currently? I'm currently a senior, so I'm graduating this May. So you're getting ready to graduate. Mm -hmm. isn't, that, isn't that terrifying? A little bit, but yeah. we're so into the adult and the business world that it already feels yeah. like. I feel like I'm ready to graduate. In a couple of years, I'll probably want an MBA somewhere, but I'm ready to take a break from that, actually. Well, you know, TCU's MBA, yeah. right? Like number 19. Actually, yeah. the executive MBA that I did there is ranked number one in Texas. And then like, I don't know, it's like 13 on the planet or whatever. But that is, yeah. that is great. So so what was it like going from rural town, Wisconsin? Which, by the way, I love Wisconsin. I was just there uh, for New Year. Okay. So amazing. my closest friend, I did my MBA with at TCU. Uh, he got elevated to be CEO of his company, had to move back there. And uh, so we're still incredibly close. Um, and, uh, and anyhow, so I got to go, I'd been to Packers games with him before, but um, I went when it was like negative degrees, right? Like there's a different kind of cold in Wisconsin than there is in my place in Colorado, right? And I was like, Jesus, like, this is where people go. Like when they say hell has frozen over, that's where this is at because everything is frozen. Like I, I had to keep blinking just that way my eyeballs didn't freeze, right? So what was it like going from rural Wisconsin to New York? Yeah, well, it clearly wasn't the weather that was the most jarring because I was already used to that. But right. it was it was, it was was culturally or socially very different from my, from my vantage point. Um, many people at Cornell are from New York City or other large metro areas. And I had never really lived in or even really visited um, any city or town larger than a couple hundred thousand people, maybe. Um, so it was very urban compared to what I was used to, even though Cornell itself is in a pretty rural place, just because there's so many translates from cities, like I said. And I struggled with how fast things moved. Um, I was like the what is investment banking, what is consulting kid 
And I feel like I needed to like bury that under a rock because I was going to get like side-eyed for not knowing what those things were and not having like a, a pantsuit. So that, that was my experience for the first year. And then slowly I became more comfortable, like going to career services and learning what those industries were and like meeting people like Adele who have had a more urban experience. So I've actually now really started to be the person who provides an alternative perspective for a lot of urban city people. And people like Adele are very gracious to accept it, but some people still aren't. So I kind of have to like do that, like what's in your head? What are you thinking about me right now? Um, and then that's how I like decide what I share with people there. So I got to kind of be a little bit careful, but I've gotten much more comfortable navigating it. Do you find like when you go back home, you're so used to the faster pace? Yeah, like, oh I, God, I do not belong at home anymore at all in Wisconsin, no, unfortunately. So there's like yeah. we spoke, I split my time between, you know, Fort Worth and small town and yeah. Colorado. And like when I'm here, I always feel like anxious and like road rage, traffic. And then I go back there. And it's like, hey, what's your hurry, man? You know, <laughs> and then I'll get used to the slow pace and I'll come back here and everything, you know, just speeds up. So, yeah, yeah. I've thought about that, like almost like constant whiplash of like going between two places, because yeah. especially my earlier years of university, I would visit home and go home a lot. And then I would just constantly be floored by like we're driving pickup trucks and there's cows running across the road sometimes. Versus like we're talking about investment banking and like wearing our power suits and like label pins and whatever. So it, it whiplash. Yeah, very, very different. Now, Adele, where are you originally from? Um, I'm from New York City. Okay. So now, when, when you say New York City, what yes. part of New York City? Because New York City's got several different bureaus, right? Yes, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm from Park Slope. Um, there's a lot of people there. It's a very... I don't know, populated area. I would say some people call it the Upper East Side of Brooklyn. Um, it has a beautiful park. I loved my neighborhood growing up. I feel very lucky to live in Brooklyn and I don't feel annoyed for not living in Manhattan, even though so many people are like, oh, you don't live in Manhattan. You don't live in New York City. Um, but I still do think I live in New York City. So it's kind of funny is uh, one of my closest friends. So I did my undergrad at TCU as well. And one of my closest friends had moved to New York after graduation and he lives in Brooklyn. He's an author and writes a bunch of books. I've been trying to get him to come down and get on the show, but I think he's too busy, like publishing like a book all the time. So now what made you choose to go to Cornell? That's a great question. Um, so I was raised in a family where it was expected for me to go to an Ivy League university. Um, my parents immigrated from the Soviet Union when they were 19 or 20. Um, and my mom somehow just came to the United States alone. Um, and then she got into Brown. Um, and then she went, so she went to Brown for undergrad for a few years and then she went to Penn Law School. Um, and then my dad, he immigrated as well. He didn't really speak any English, so he didn't go straight to Ivy. Um, but then he went to Stern Business School, which is very highly ranked as well. So it was in my blood to have to go to an Ivy League university or level of that. Um, so originally I wanted to go to Penn. Um, but then after understanding that I actually wanted to do engineering and I didn't just want to do business, um, I applied for Cornell. I got into Cornell. Um, and it, it's a beautiful. It's a great place. I really feel at home there. It's the best decision I made for college. I have what's called landmines. And what I mean by that is if I throw a topic out and you're like, nope, don't want to talk about that. There's nothing wrong on this show with saying and don't want to talk about that. But when you said Soviet Union, and we've kind of got something going on over there in Ukraine and, and, and Russia right now, is that with your parents being migrating from the Soviet Union, is that 
given you a lot of like conflicting feelings of the situation? Um, so actually, no, um, because my parents left the Soviet Union because they didn't feel that it was their home. Um, my family is all Jewish, so they never felt they never liked the Soviet Union. Um, so they left as soon as they really could. Um, my mom's p- parents actually applied um, to leave the country in 1973. And it was only eight years after that was was my mom able to leave. And then only a few years after that were my her parents able to leave. So they don't like the Soviet Union. We have like zero real ties to it. We have a very, very little family left in Russia, but it's some step families. We don't really like them very much. It's a whole complication. Um, But then my so I have my mom's side is from St. Petersburg and my dad's side is from Ukraine. All of our family left from Ukraine. Um, But for my dad, it's actually been challenging because he works in finance. He needs to understand what's going on in the world. So he's trying to balance the understanding that his family is from Ukraine, but also he has to work and he's literally betting on the markets that are revolving around what's going on in Ukraine. So he's having a bit of a tough time with it, but not in the very personal way. Um, But it's I have other friends, actually, that are from Ukraine. One of my friends, her entire family is from Ukraine. I was watching her be on the phone with her mom, trying to get her mom out of the country. Wow. So. I see my other friends going through it a lot more than I personally am. Yeah, it's a it's a it's it's been definitely a challenging situation that I think affects the whole entire planet. Exactly. Right. And uh, for me, being a vet is what you know, which is really conflicting. Right. Because I went to college uh, when I went and did my undergrad. I did a I did my undergrad with a friend of mine. Luda was from Ukraine. And so the Marine in me feels like. Hey, I want to go fight for things. Right. But the other part of me is, man, we've been fighting for the last 20 years and didn't really feel like how we were treated on the exit out of there. The last thing I want to do is mm-hmm. go watch, you know, and I built an organization called Cowtown Warriors uh, that, you know, does nothing but raise money for wounded vets is, you know, after a while, it's really kind of funny is, you know, people, uh, when they look at vets as maybe warmongers or whatever is actually no one wants peace more than us. Cause we're the ones that got to go do the dirty work. Right. And then, but watching just, I would say taking a different direction with the economics, right. As you know, we were, we're already coming out of a pandemic, right. Or maybe some say we are, some say we aren't, we're two yeah. years into right. whenever it kicked off. Right. right? We already saw complications going on with the economy long before COVID was even COVID-19 was a word. Then we've gone through the challenges of that. And then now, because the sanctions put on Russia, like um, one of the things I was on the phone with my investors and I was like, how will the production of wheat affect what we're doing, even though I'm not anywhere near or touching the food industry because the farming in uh, Ukraine the one they haven't been able to plant. I mean, it's not like you can plant year round. Two, Russia was the main supplier of fertilizer. So that causes supply chain issues that do affect the entire globe. And uh, especially with a globe where the population is growing faster than ever, right? And so those are global perspectives that we have to think about in business as we move forward, right? And, uh, and matter of fact, that's a great segue into talking about business. So y'all came to this competition, 250 teams applied, competed, 42 made it. 
to here to Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then eight made it to the final round. Right. Where'd you guys end up? We were third. Third? That's pretty awesome, though. We're very, very happy. So third out of 200. So out of the 250 that even remotely had a chance, right? Because that didn't even include however many didn't even make the 250, right? I think just 250 teams applied in oh, total applied. to the okay. competition. Okay, okay. But still, third, I mean, that's uh We're very not too shabby. Yeah. Yes. Doesn't <laughs> suck, does it? No. <laughs> it was also our first in-person competition. So it was the first time that we had gotten up on stage together to present. Ooh. So it was an incredible experience. We're what very, very like? happy with it. What was that like being the first time to get up there? And... Well, fortunately, we got the early bus to the competition site. So we got to scoot up there on stage before the speaker came. And we kind of got the space. We got like, oh, our mics are going to go here. We're going to hold them there. Here's how we can gesture. We'll stand at the back of the stage. So we had our little, little practice run, but it was much different when there were uh, people in all the seats, right. as one may expect. So we had each other's back on stage. Like there was a, there was a time on stage um, in the middle of our presentation. I just blanked and Adele was like, oh, I bet she's blanking. Let me advance the slide. And I was like, ah, oh. oh, yes, we have competitors. I remember those guys. Aren't they nice? And then we came. Yes, it was seamless. Yeah. We had someone at like the coffee table after we pitched. We were talking about it. I was like, oh, my goodness. Could they tell? Could they tell? I feel like it just stood there for five hours and didn't say anything. And then the guy overheard us. He was like, oh, no. I mean, no one besides no one besides someone who's pitched and pitched and pitched would have even even thought that was an issue. Like, we just thought you were just taking a breath, going to go pitch the next thing. I'm like, great. Thanks for the validation, man. We love to see it. Then you just rolled right with it. Well, I think that, you know, hearing things like that just demonstrates how much y'all work as a team, right? Because you have another team member that I met, but she flew back yesterday, mm -hmm. yes. right? Yeah. Uh, Be Becky? Yes. Becky. Becky. Okay. That was her name, Becky. And so that's what's really interesting, you know, and I know a thing or two about working in a team, you know, coming from the military. Uh, is it's easier said than done, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, real easier said than done. Actually, I think that y'all's generation has even bigger challenges with learning how to operate together as a team because of, like, in my day, there was no cellular devices or any. I mean, like a cell phone was like in a suitcase, right? So we were forced to talk to each other. Whereas y'all have come up in an age where with technology and social media provides it, you know, I call it the everything is a blessing is a curse and everything is a curse is a blessing, right? So the blessing of technology and social media that can give a lot of advantages, the curses are some people never really truly learn how to fully effectively communicate. So for y'all to get together and be able to learn to do that as a team is nothing short of impressive. It's actually been an interesting journey there. For example, we all started working together during peak COVID season. So when I recruited all of us and we had our new team and we all met, um, we were working together over Zoom. I think yeah. it was only a month or two in did we even meet each other in person, right. maybe even longer. So we had to overcome that barrier of learning how to communicate in person and then for still for a while we were having most of our work sessions and meetings over zoom um and then we became to work more together in person but it's been a pretty long journey for us i think to get that good communication but now we were just reflecting on it and now we're just like subconsciously able to balance tasks better together and just communicate so much stronger the closer we get which has been really amazing well let's, let's segue into that and and uh talk about how 
AI learners got to start. So walk me me through that. Yeah. So I had the idea back in high school, actually. Um, So I want to say like six or seven years ago, I think I was 15, 16. Um, So my younger sister has a disability called Rett syndrome. Um, She can't talk or walk. um, And obviously she wants to learn how to do math. Um, She works with her educators, her therapists, her teachers all the time. Um, I was also tutoring math for my entire life, pretty much since eighth grade, I think. Um, So I wanted to help her learn math. Um, So I was talking to to some of her therapists and I was like, what can I do? How can I help? Um, And we were playing some online games together. And uh, we were looking at the games and her therapist kept complaining about the games. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I will start creating a new game for Laura. That's my sister. Um, And at the same time, I wanted to learn how to code. So over a summer, I think it was before my junior year of high school, I started learning how to code and I tried making a game for my sister. Um, The game actually ended up being used in a hospital um, as an assistive device, um, like uh, kind of like compatibility assessment. Um, My sister uses this assistive device called an eye gaze Toby, um, where basically her eyes act as a computer mouse. So you have to make sure that it's compatible with the website. So I created a game that actually worked pretty well to assess whether it was like the spacing of where the student was sitting in relation to the screen was good. So that was the first kind of initial thing that I did for the startup at the time. It was kind of just a project. So then I put it on hold. Um, I didn't really know how to code very much. So, and then in college, restarted it. Um, I put out a blast at Cornell um, on some listserv. It was like some engineering listserv. And then people got interested. We started working on something over the summer. Then we applied for an accelerator. We got into the accelerator. We did customer discovery. Things really took off. And then I put out more email blasts. Kylie and Becky came onto the team. And then we kind of just kept going from there. And we developed. We got a lot of traction. And here we are. So let's go back and talk about when you put the blast out. Mm -hmm. Let's talk to the audience what it means for the accelerator, right? Yes. What What is that? Yeah, so it's called the eLab um, Student Business Accelerator. It's run by Cornell. Um, it's basically just a, a Cornell-based accelerator. It's like one of those big ones, for example, if you think of like Y Combinator or Techstars, but it's very local to Cornell. Um, so you get into the accelerator, they help, they teach you more about the customer discovery process, um, and they really help you do those initial interviews. So we conducted about 100 interviews with um, help from our professors. We would also pitch to the investors, we would show them, or sorry, to our professors, um, we would show them our slide deck, we would tell them what interview questions we were asking, and they would give us feedback. Um, that was a great experience I'd never pitched before. Um, so I got a lot of great feedback from them. And then by the end of that, um, by the end of the year, if you incorporate um, your company, then you receive $5,000. So that was also our first bit of money um, that we received for the company. Um, but they were great. They really connect you to a bunch of advisors. They bring you to other pitches. So we had, it was two semester program. We had two pitches that year. Um, however, that was during COVID season. So they were all virtual, um, but, you know, still got nervous, put on a nice button down for them. Um, but that was the accelerator. It was a phenomenal experience. I really give a lot of um, credit to the accelerator for helping us in the initial stages. And you also said customer discovery. Talk about that to the audience. Yes. So for us, the customer discovery process was very, very key. So I always, through my sister, Laura, understood that there was a problem um, for kids with disabilities to learn math. I saw that she was trying to learn how to do math online and her therapists were complaining about the websites. So I talked to her therapists a lot. Um, I, ta- I was connected with about three of them that were very, very strong connections. And they explained to me some of the issues that they were having. 
But of course, three people is not enough. You really have to verify um, what they're saying and hear from other people and get different perspectives. They were also working with students with more severe disabilities. So I wanted to understand perspectives from other disabilities, maybe more mild disabilities. So I reached out to hundreds of teachers and therapists from around New York, even from around the States, and just cold call emailed them. Um, I was also learning what that means to just reach out to people. Um, so that was definitely challenging. I played around with different spreadsheets as well for how to make sure that I was not reaching out to multiple people twice or that I knew what communication status was going on. I didn't do it very well to start, actually. It took a lot of progress and learning how to even just make that spreadsheet. Um, but I talked to all of these people. We had phone calls. Other people on my team helped me. We collected data. We had a Google form um, where we inputted all of the data. Um, we also tried other methods of customer discovery where we would put out um, a Google form on Facebook into different Facebook groups so that we wouldn't have to get on the phone with so many people because we had limited time. So through that, we spent many months um, around the entire year um, collecting data and just better understanding like the market. We wanted to understand what therapists and teachers were currently using for educational platforms, how we could reach them as well. We wanted to know like, how can we connect with more people? It was only, we talked to a hundred people, but where can we connect with more people once we actually want customers? Um, so it was a big process of just understanding who our customers are, why they want our product, um, or why they want an educational platform um, and what they would want on it. So that also really helped us design our features and it helped like make the vision that I had in my head more concrete and really do that feature development. So when you put out to recruit Kylie and Becky, and there's a few more people, right? Oh, yes. Quite a few. <laughs> yeah. So when, when, when you were at that stage to go, okay, I need to bring more people on, did you have an idea of what kind of person that needed to be? And I, let me, let me rephrase this. So like with my real estate team, right? I have somebody that does business development, James, and he, that's what he's designed to do. I mean, that's how he's hardwired. And then my buyer's rep and my listing rep, that's what they're designed to do. And then my transaction coordinator, that's what she's designed to do. Just like my wife, compliance, being a lawyer, designed to do, right? So each has a design that they can do other things, but if you, they bring a special skill set that I knew that I needed in order to build this team has been number one in Fort Worth for, for a number of years, right? Did you have an idea of what that was? Yeah, I had an idea. I actually think I segmented it pretty early to start. I put it out as I needed web developers, game developers, backend developers, designers, and business. Business. The infamous um, business. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the reason why Kylie's putting quotes around this is because essentially what happened was people applied to multiple positions because neither I nor they knew exactly what these positions meant. Um, I put out a description along each sent along each one of those position titles, but there's still so much overlap. And like with business, what is business, right? Like there's so many things that are within this. I also coming from an engineering background had no idea what that meant. So then Kylie, so pretty much Kylie and a bunch of other people apply. I think I had interest actually from like 100 people in this round. It was insane. I spent so many hours doing outreach. So I received 100 resumes. Didn't really know what to do with them. Essentially, I printed them all out and I took a red pen um, and I started just going through them and seeing who had a good GPA or who looked like they had some sort of experience. I think I narrowed it down to about 40 or 50. 
And then I came home to my dad and I said, dad, I have no idea what's going on. I don't think I should hire a team of 50 people. What do I do? So then he took a green pen and then went through those resumes that I got and he narrowed it down or he helped me narrow it down to about 20, I would say. And then I ended up hiring 15 people across those five different positions. Um, And then I'm sure Kylie actually would love to tell this story of what we did two days before the internship with all of these new 15 people um, were coming on. Well, one, I don't recall what we did. Two, (laughs) what did you see on my resume or what did your dad see on my resume? I don't know. I think you just had a good resume, the high GPA, maybe some business background, but essentially what we did, um, we were, it was December 23rd. Ah, yes. And the internship was starting, I think, the next day. This is 21 or 20? For uh, 2020. 2020. Okay. Um, so th- before this moment, so before December 23rd of fall of, of 2020, I had just a very small team, um, I think one developer and maybe two or three business people that I met through the, um, the accelerator that I was in. And then, so I wanted to expand. So then we had, I had just accepted 15 people to join the team. Um, So then Kylie and I get on the phone. Kylie's like, I have this HR background. I know that Uh it's important to be organized and have projects planned. This, okay, the ski lodge call. Yes. Got it. Um, This is really the first time after the interview that we ever talked. And Kylie's like, okay, so what's your plan for this internship? What are the projects? How can I help you organize them? And I said, well, I want to develop a website. You know, the website should have some games and some other website elements, and we have to um, build them and code them, and then we have to market the platform. And Kylie's like, okay. Which, by the way, sounds very engineer-like, right? <laughs> doesn't it? Doesn't it? I'm glad you're picking that up. Yes, that's what I said. I said, look at this engineer who never managed a person in her life. Fine. Correct. So essentially, we realized that I had no idea what it meant to manage a 15 person team and to actually have projects and execute them. So we went through like five different colors and we tried to really understand what projects we had to do. I learned that you have to design before you develop. That was a new concept for me. I also learned that you can't market a platform before you have a platform developed. So which like is very intuitive to any business person or to anyone really who has worked at a company before, but I had never worked for a company before. So this was all news to me. I was learning this. Um, it was fun. We made some flow charts. Um, we figured out the real, yeah, the real takeaway from the ski lodge call was like what we called the concept of like dependencies where like segment the project such that project A happens and project B happens after project A. And then maybe like project D and project B have to happen before you can do project C. So these flow charts on these iPads were like, little boxes connected by arrows where like you started with the projects at the top and then they like flow down into the bottom projects. And Adele was like, oh, dependencies. I don't even know if that's the word that <laughs> it's like really called or anything. But yep. yeah, that was that was the real takeaway of the ski lodge call. So when you so when you say ski lodge call, what do you mean? What, what yeah. do you mean by ski so lodge Adele call? Adele was like sitting in this like library with like a Christmas tree and books at this ski lodge. My family wanted to go on vacation. It was also my birthday. Um, so we were going on Christmas break, celebrating my birthday, celebrating New Year's. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were also starting the winter internship or we were going to start it with all of these new team members a few days later. Um, Fortunately, it was raining and it was above freezing, so I didn't really get to ski. So I just worked instead. I think that was the first birthday I started working, um, like on my birthday. Um, And since then, it's been a trend. 
Um, <laughs> but anyway, so that's why it's this famous ski lodge because I was sitting in this really sweet ski lodge. Actually, I found this library. It was in Vermont. Beautiful place. Um, and that's really where it started. Like that's when that was the first time I think I went on vacation and I was working and I was very excited to work and I was happy doing it. While being on vacation, welcome to the life of an entrepreneur. Exactly. Right? It was right. my first yeah. glimpse into it. Yeah. There are no days off is what it seems like. Right. And, uh, so you talked to her for the first time. Yes. Tell me about that. Okay. So I remember being slightly nervous because in my mind, it was like, I'm going to go tell founder lady that like she needs internal infrastructure. I don't know how she's going to take that. Um, because I knew Adele was very like, has an idea, wants to do the idea yesterday. Like, let's go. And I was like, feeling like I was threading this needle of like giving her the infrastructure and systems needed to actually build the idea. But I did not want it to come off as like, slow down your idea, slow down your idea. Let me put up all these barriers, et cetera. So that for the first couple of months was a, a big thing that I was worried about, um, especially because I found that HR and internal infrastructure isn't the most glamorous thing and no one really, really loves doing it. But that makes me very unique because I love doing that stuff. So I can come and like partner with all sorts of founders and CEOs and stuff and help them build that. And now, like over the last year, I've gone from just HR to being able to do other operations tasks, even like marketing, since we don't have a CMO yet. Um, so that's been my growth over the last year. And I'm basically grateful and stoked, just happy whenever a CEO or founder who I work with is like, willing to hear me out on the operation stuff because I know I can do it well and I know I can help them build. And that's what I love doing. So the last year has been awesome. But at the beginning, when you asked about like these initial ski lodge calls, for example, like I was just like, how can I package this in a way that's not like sounding like a grandmother trying to move at a snail's pace? Because um, that was not something that I wanted to give myself like the reputation of because I knew that that would come to bite me later. Wow. So yeah. it's, it's funny uh, is... So this summer, uh, my wife and I are going to Alaska for a month, four weeks. We intentionally picked Alaska because there's no cell phone signal in the areas that we're going. But it doesn't mean that all my companies aren't going to still maybe need something. So I have to make adjustments like having a sat phone just in case and then telling everybody if that thing rings, it's because the house burned down or somebody died, right? But that's the thing is when, you, when it's yours, it's very hard to disconnect and leave it. And that's the hardest thing about, and this is what I've had to learn uh, in my, so I've had three executive coaches. I'm on my third now. And what I had to learn was that balance, right? Because even if you do manage to take five days off and not look at your computer, not look at your phone, not look at anything else, it doesn't mean that your brain doesn't shut off, right? And you're always thinking about, how do I move this to the next thing? Or what, what do I do if X happens? How do I respond if Y happens, right? And, it's, and that's, that's why I, it's really funny. One of the jokes I always make is uh, if you look at an entrepreneur and you look at all the symptoms of being bipolar, it, you have about 80% of them, right? <laughs> because you just got to be a little crazy to want to go do this. Like a recent uh, company that I started back in August. Uh, with an old Marine Corps buddy, as I told him in the very beginning, I was like, it's going to be hard. You're going to get frustrated and you're going to get angry. 
And because if you didn't, this is why most people don't go do these things. They go, you know what? I'm okay with a nine to five. I'm okay with golden handcuffs. I'm okay with all that because I want my, I want when I leave at 5 p.m. on Friday, I don't worry about anything till 8 a.m. on Monday, right? And, and I often laugh when I'm talking to friends from previous careers I've been in and they go, man, I'm just so busy. And I'm just sitting there laughing like, <laughs> man, I got 40 hours in by Wednesday. Right. And that, that's not from the previous Thursday, right? That's like Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. But the trade-off is I get to be in control of a lot more things, right? So if I do want to go do something, the only person I have to ask is the person in the mirror, right? And so there are trade-offs. So the curse of not being able to leave is the blessing of it, where, matter of fact, it was, uh, uh, um, this was really funny is, I was, so Friday was in these, uh, I'm, in the TCU MBA board meeting and, and when he, we were, you know, talking about recruitment and, you know, what's going on with the different world, the largest transition of wealth is happening right now in the amount of $70 trillion that leaves a lot of business opportunities open for folks. And so Ken and I were talking back and forth, but we're probably the only true entrepreneurs in there. I mean, other people have some entrepreneurs, but like, that's what we live. And, uh, and it's funny because at one point I just looked at Ken across the table and I said, we probably got to break this down for them because you and I are unemployable, right? Like there's one, especially now, there's no way I would hire me. I'd be a total pain in the ass, right? And, and then two is I don't want to be an employee, right? But I also, I would say the skill set that I've learned was when to step out of the way. And that took some help from a coach. That's why I'm it, very interesting. You know, you're like, hey, we got to do this. And you're like, hey, have you thought about this? I don't want to be the thing that slows you down. And you're like, but, oh, my God, I have to think about this thing. You know, like, you know, these are things, right? These are important things because you want it to be successful. Is I remember the last coach I had, and uh, we were about six months into uh, coaching. And uh, or as I like to say, uh, I spent a lot of money on somebody to tell me everything that my wife will tell me for free. Right. Uh, and so anyhow, he said, we need to get you out of the day to day decision making. And so my ego, that nasty little three letter word jumped in. I was like, no, nah, this is mine. I built this. Right. And it's hard. And he's like, one, you don't even like that part of this stuff anyways. And so learning to delegate, learning to let go of some things and then being able to watch it grow very, very fast. But it was it was hard to go. Man, and it only comes as if the other person or persons has this thing called trust. <laughs> ah, funny you bring, funny you bring that up. Yes, yeah, we've had a lot of kind of not like necessarily back and forth with that, but just like as a company overall, we've experimented a lot with giving people more trust and then seeing it go well or not. Like I think for me personally, I had a very very tough time trusting anyone like it was my baby to start I think it took me like a year when Kyle and I even talked about trust and what that meant um and I I think it was a very big jump from when I only trusted myself to do anything to when I could trust Kylie to like run a project and that jump was like it took <laughs> so much weight off of my shoulders and now I'm just like I have a problem I text Kylie I call her I'm like problem problem help help and I trust her to do it that was like so that was the first great thing. I think then there was the big thing when we tried to trust other people on the team. Yeah. 
Um, some of that went well. Some of that went very poorly. And then I had to, you know, redo a lot of work. Um, but we experimented with it. And then it's really helping us grow as a company and understand like what our next steps are, what management do we need on the team, what positions do we need, what projects do I have to be present at, what projects does Kylie have to be present at, what can we give to someone else. Um, and we're still obviously figuring that out. I don't think anyone ever will 100% get it. You'll always make mistakes. But oh, oh, let me let me let me go ahead. Hey, as a you know, at being a half a century old now, and as as my daughter said uh, weekend before last when she flew in for my birthday, is Dad, you're closer to death than birth now, and I'm like. Thanks. It's like, you know, with comments like that, I'll write you out of the will. And she says, no, you won't. I said, why won't I? And she goes, I'm an only child. And I was just like, well, I might leave it to charity. And she's like, nah, you won't. Uh, and she, as my wife will say, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree with being a smart aleck. Uh, but, it, but it is funny is you're going to fail, right? But the only way you can learn is you do got to be vulnerable. You got to put it out there, right? And you do. And, and then the only thing you can do is learn from it. Right. And, and I actually raised my daughter that way, which was, hey, look, it's really not a mistake. It's a learning opportunity. It's only a mistake if you repeat. Right. And so learn from them. And so like how many pivots, like even my real estate team took over uh, just the last number of years. Like I had a mo the model we do today is actually the model I wanted it to be before the pandemic kicked off. And people just looked at me and didn't get it. They didn't understand it. The consumers didn't, nobody understood it except for the team. And I was like, but man, this will work better. And so when March of 2020 happened, all of a sudden people were like, okay, totally makes sense. And I was like, so it literally took a global pandemic for my model to make sense. And then from there, we just skyrocketed, right? And so those are those frustrating times of, and you're going to learn lessons, right? And, and, and this, is, this is what I tell folks, just lean into them. You know, instead of getting, you're, you're going to get angry. Allow yourself to get angry. You should, right? You should allow, uh, you know, these motions and things to happen. Just don't let them control you. Let it, lay it all out and they go, okay, what can I learn from this? What can I take away from this? What can I do next that makes this better? And, uh, and the biggest thing that will crush any partnerships or any business is bad communication. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually why Kylie and I work so well together, because if I make any mistake, there's no way I can get away with it. She will like 100% bring it up in the best of ways to, to make sure that I learn from the experience. Yeah. So we're always reflecting. We're always kind of taking a pause and saying, what went wrong? How can we improve and make this better? even if it's a small thing. And I have grown so much from that. And I think it's helped the company. It's helped me personally. It's just like beneficial all around. Um, so I really appreciate like everyone makes mistakes. Oh man, and, let me tell yeah. you. So I, I uh, this week I won't have one, but on a couple of the companies that I built, we have a, a all the presidents you call different businesses. We, we have a Zoom call. Uh, once a week to go through and make sure everybody's up to speed on what's going on because a lot of these businesses touch each other, right? You know, typical entrepreneur, couldn't find anybody to do it the way I like, so I just went and built a company around it, right? Like, here, y'all are too slow. Let me go find, here, let's build this thing. And uh, um, so one, two, two sayings I have is, one, if you see something, say something, right? And so like uh, in the last couple of weeks, we had a couple of bumps in the road and I was like, how long has this been going on? And they're like six months. And I was like, then tell me. And I was like, why didn't you? And they were like, 
man, we just want to let you down. And I was like, dude, you're letting me down by not telling me, right? Is because they will often describe me as a robot, right? As I go, go, go. And a lot of times, like even on my real estate team, like I just happened last week. Like I bought a trip, but paid for the hotel for one of my people to go, go get out of town. When I was like, when's the last time you had a day off? And he was like, well, October. And I was like, when I sent you to San Diego? And he goes, yeah. So I was like, hey, look, this is not healthy. If every six months I got to pay to send you somewhere because you're not taking off. I was like, you know, you have a skill set that I don't have and I don't want you to burn yourself out on it. But also remember, you're probably not going to be like me that actually enjoys working from 4 a.m. to 8 p.m. seven days a week, right? That's not normal. I'm not a normal human being. So if you see something, say something. And you're going to make mistakes. And guess what? You're going to lose money. I make another joke. I say there's only one person in business I've ever heard of that never lost any money. His name was Bernie Madoff. And he went to prison for it because he was cheating. Right? You're going to lose money. You're going to make mistakes. Learn from it. Because as one door closes, a giant door opens up from what you learn from it. And guess what? You're going to make a lot of mistakes. It's going to happen because there's this thing called we're human. Right? Yeah, I resonate with that a lot, actually. Like, always working, never really trying to take a day off. Um, I think I've actually told people a few times on the team, but, like, please take a day off. You deserve a day off. (laughs) And, like, I try to tell myself that, too, sometimes. Like, we're allowed to take breaks, too. It's tough. I don't think I've taken... A single day, a full like twenty four hour period. Yeah. No, in a while. I've taken a little. I've taken like a little bit of a day, but like I went on vacation over Christmas break. Every single morning, I would wake up early and work for a few hours in the morning. Um, but then I could take off most of the afternoon and only check my phone notifications every thirty minutes. Adele, let me ask you a question. <laughs> yes, is it that you don't take it off because you feel this thing called guilt, like oh? But if I don't, things will fall behind. If I don't, this or that, right? That guilty feeling of we don't allow ourselves to lean in. And you do actually need to, right? So this last year, I had several health problems that were caused because I was working. And I get so laser focused. Like I will look up and I haven't eaten in 18 hours, right? And it's, you know, and I'm not a small guy. Right. I need to have some food. Keep this, you know, six foot, 200. Well, let's call it 200 pounds, uh, you know, get running. But I'll, I'll do that or I won't sleep or I'll wake up and then my mind's going. And I just like if I wake up at two o'clock in the morning, I'm just like, all right, time to just might as well. I, if I stay in bed, all I'm going to do is leave. But you, I would recommend building in some sort of balance even if it starts off with a little tiny Scooby snack, right? It builds into something else because if you don't, like uh, uh, I had a deal that uh, I just finished up in the beginning of March that I was working on since the end of uh, December. And uh, that's when I went up to see my friend in Wisconsin, right? And I promised my wife I wouldn't work, totally broke that promise. Uh, And then on the way back, I'd gotten some stomach bag bug. I was sitting there like we were in the airport Tuesday. I was like, oh, I don't feel good. I managed to lose 20 pounds in 72 hours. Oh. Right. It just it was some weird, I don't know where it came from. Nobody else got anything. So I don't think it was anything we ate or anything. But I mean, lose 20 pounds in three days is not good. And then my wife's looking at me like, 
hey, moron, like you're withering away. And I was like, but I got to get this done. And she's like, you're an idiot. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, nah. and then, and then I had that something, uh, but actually another, you know, where I'd gotten a little sick. So I earlier in uh, uh, the year or back in September, I had an investors meeting. And so I'd flown in f- for it. And uh, one, 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 one of the guys just goes, I took off my blazer and he was like, uh, what is going on? I was like, yeah, man, I've been sick for like the last two weeks. And he was like, dude, you literally have like lost a ton of weight. And I was like, yeah, but I had to get this done. So I don't recommend going down that path, by the way. I agree. I have a pretty good balance with myself, I would say. Like, I'm very strict. I will eat three meals a day. I work out like five days a week minimum. I need to have that structure. So that's like my way of getting through a week. And then in terms of breaks, like, I'm bad at taking vacations. But like, I will, if I'm very, very stressed out, I will make sure I get a night off. Um, I think I'm worse on the nights off, I do make sure that my day is structured because I need to stay healthy in order to be productive. So like, sometimes I will just say like, I will call it, I will say I have a strict stop at 6pm, I have to go to the gym, because or else I will not be able to work more the rest of the day. And I really value being effective and efficient when I am working. Yeah, no, that's really important. Or, or find things like for me, um, about four months ago, I started this structure, right? So when I get up at four in the morning and I get my cup of coffee, I, I have 30 minutes to myself, which is 10 minutes of just breathing and meditation, 10 minutes of reading, 10 minutes of journaling. And it's really just to reassure myself that I can, I can, I can have 30 minutes to myself. Right. And then I go into this regiment that goes on all day long. And then at five 30, I have an alarm. It goes off of my phone. It says, Hey, start winding things down. So that's when I'll go in, look at email, start trying to anything else I need. So that way by 630, I'm now trying to, you know, you know, because I'm married to my business partner as well. Right. You know, and so it's like, hey, and I like to cook like those are things I like to do. I enjoy that. It's a disconnect. But also when I'm up in Colorado, I'm very bad about not doing it when I'm back in Fort Worth is the Internet up there is horrible. I have two internets. So at 11, one will go down and usually by 12 or 1230, the other one will go down and the cell phone signal sucks and it really won't get back up till about two. So a lot of times if it's during the nicer weather, we'll go for a hike. And if it's during, you know, ski season, we'll just, cause I'm literally, I'm up and on the slopes for in 25 minutes, I can ski for an hour, come back down, get, you know, but doing that because it allows me to force myself to disconnect, right? Especially when I'm trying to, problem solve stuff. So it allows me to just clear my mind and then go, okay. And then by two, I'm back in it and I'm going back at it again. Sometimes if I'm like writing some hard computer program to solve something and I'm working until like one or two in the morning, trying to figure it out, I would just call it. I will be so frustrated at my computer. I'm like wanting to throw it across the room. (laughs) I will put it down. I will set an alarm for myself at seven in the morning, wake up and I'll just figure it out. I remember like a week or two ago, I, I think at nine in the morning, I texted Kylie. I'm like, oh my God, the most productive morning. Just figured out a major bug in my code. And it was because the night before I was trying to do it, I stayed up late. It wasn't working. So many problems. I forced myself to close my computer and go to sleep. And yes, I would wake up in the middle of the night thinking about how to solve it. But then I woke up in the morning with a clear mind and then I was able to just do it. One of the toughest things is to just be willing to stop 
I think, because it's like, I should be smart enough to figure this out is like the negative or like that, that doesn't even sound negative, but it is negative in the moment. You're like, I should be able to figure this out. I'm smart. Like, why can I not do this? And you feel very uncapable when really you just need to take a break and then you will be even more capable in the future. It's, that's very hard, but I think Adele and I do a good job of even like if we're working through a tough problem that has to do with both of us, we'll go for a walk while we do it. Like we did that last night, two nights ago, one of those nights. Yes. And yeah. <laughs> and then before we actually pitched in the finals, we both went to the gym and you did your little cardio and I did my little yoga mat thing. Um, and that is like, I think that set us up for a great day when we pitched in the finals, actually. Which for the audience listening, and they're still going to school full time at Cornell. I mean, we didn't even, I mean, like add that whole dumpster fire in there right we joke about that a ton it's like oh are we supposed to be doing school things like is that something that's in our schedules or not like the answer is mostly no but yeah we're we're managing somehow i took a very very low course load this semester Myself because, as well. yeah. yeah it's it's very tough to manage being a student as well mm-hmm. um especially like being a junior in the engineering school i can't say my classes are easy um but i do have great friends to help me so all of my friends and family super super supportive so it's been we're able to manage it well let's let's jump into what the business is i mean we've yes. talked about y'all and your journey to get to all the success the insanity of everything the great relationships y'all have built so what is the business Tell yes me. great question um so we created ai learners it's an educational platform to help kids with disabilities learn math through personalized computer games um, so essentially, we have computer games on the website for kids with disabilities. Um, their games are very accessible and engaging. That's fundamentally how they're designed. And then we use our algorithms to make sure that the games are personalized for each student because students with disabilities are all different. And we want to make sure that every student is getting a personalized learning experience. Um, and then a big other feature that we have is for parents and educators to really get a deep understanding of how their students learn. Um, and we make very clear analytics um, to provide them with information on the student's uh, progress, strengths and weaknesses and other things that they want to learn. So when you had said that Thursday for parents and educators to see how the student learns, that's when, you know, because look, I was there and I was like, okay, yeah, another team, cool, great for y'all, y'all are entrepreneurs. And when you said that, you grabbed my attention. I don't know if you could notice that we're in a conversation. And on top of that, I probably, because it was a happy hour, I had a couple of drinks in me too. But when you said that, I zoned in, like you have my undivided attention. Tell me more about that. That we know is one of our biggest features. It depends. So depending on who I'm talking to, I emphasize one more than the other. Parents, of course, really want to understand how their kids are learning, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, that's a big problem that we found. Every single parent is like, I want to understand how my kid learns. And I'm like, why can't you understand how your kid learns now? And they're like, well, report cards suck. I don't know what an A means. What can my kid actually do? So on our website, instead of saying you're at level two or you're at level three, you have an A plus. We say your kid can add numbers up to 25 or something very, very descriptive and clear. We have really clear graphics to really make it clear for you to understand what your student can do. Um, and we've asked parents and educators to look at them and we say, and we actually, so when we did user testing, we asked them um, to look at a graph or to look at a chart of something. And we asked them, pretend this is your student. 
what do you think your student can do in addition? And they would look at our graphics and have to tell us. And they got it. And then we asked them, like, how else can we make this information clear to you? They told us. We implemented it. And now we've really, like, we're really excited about our analytics section on our website now because we verified that people really can understand what their students can do by looking at the charts that we've created. And it's a huge problem. Parents and educators do not really understand how students are learning. And that even spans to general education students as well. It's not just for kids with disabilities. Like, for kids with disabilities, it's an even worse problem. It's so difficult for anyone to even measure what they can do, let alone display the information. So we're going to start with that, figure out how we can show parents and educators of kids with disabilities how they can learn, and then maybe we'll expand later. But that's kind of getting to another conversation. <laughs> well, I tell you, and that's the reason I honed in on it, because as I shared with you all the other night is, you know, one, regardless if somebody has a disability or not, right? Trying to fit a square peg into a circle is a lot of times what people are trying to force them to do. And then with me, I grew up, so I, I, I tell people, we have three lives. You have a personal life, you have a professional life, and you have a secret life. And I don't care who you are, priest or president, we all have a secret, right? Whether it's, and it could be something as minor as, hey, everybody else likes this thing that I don't like. So I don't want to, I don't want anybody to know that because I don't want to not seem normal or nobody else likes this certain thing that I like. Right. And mine was, I was, and of course, you know, back in you know seventies and eighties, nobody knew what dyslexia really was. Mine was so bad that is my brain doesn't process vowels. So if you put the word horse and house right next to each other and say, which one is horse? The only reason I would pick it correctly is I got a 50, 50 chance of picking one of two things, right? They both look exactly the same to me. So I didn't even learn to read till after I dropped out of high school and was in the Marines, right? And so, because I was terrified, because the only thing I knew, because you're looking at high school and everything else, if somebody can't read, that must mean you're dumb. And I was like, I know I'm not a dumb person, but everybody's going to think I'm dumb. Maybe I am dumb. And it wasn't a confidence. I've never had an issue with confidence, but it was like, this just, this is, you know, I don't want anybody to know. And then when I found out and then I learned how to read in my own unique way, Right. And, and, and so when y'all said that, I was like, man, if I if I could have known that, you know, when I was younger, where would my life have gone? And I don't have any regrets. My life's I mean, it's definitely been a, a long journey of roller coasters and everything else. But where could I have ended up at? And so that's why that was just super grasped on to me. Matter of fact, I want to know to, to what level that means is. Like even in my own businesses, I use a system called Culture Index. It's a quick six-minute survey. It's marine-proof. Trust me, you can't fail this thing. You check some boxes, and it kicks out a result that says, this is how you prefer to process information, right? And, and so we, I, I won't even take a client unless they take it. And so that way, for example, I'll give you an example. My wife and I, because I've had talked about this on many, many episodes and even had my Culture Index consultant on here, is my wife wants to know how the watch is built. She's high detail. Only one way to do anything, right? Is she's, you know, needs, she's an internal processor. She's more patient, right? Me, give it to me in three bullet points. I want to know what time it is and how do I win? And Len, when I say right now, I mean right now, right now, I'm not patient for anything. So if you try to present information to me or try to force me to, to understand information the way she prefers it, you would bore me to tears. And if you tried to make her understand something the way I process information, she would be left with an incredible amount of confusion and frustration. So when you had said that, 
that is really what caught my attention. I thought, okay, I was like, I was like, this team is on to something here that can change the world because, well, like we were a uh, Friday, we're, we were at a summit talking about innovation and it was talking about, um, you know, how the world has changed. And, but a classroom is still designed like 1890. That's not how y'all learn now, right? Like I had that same frustration with my daughter, right? When it was like, I, I refused to get her a cell phone for a long time because I, my view towards a cell phone is this is a business device, right? But what I found out is she was falling behind in class because the teachers were like, hey, Google this, do this, do that. And I had held back the tools that she needed to succeed that once we got her an iPhone instantly overnight, you could see the difference because I was trying to force her to do things the way we did it. And it is now it's different. Right. So, so let's talk a little bit more about that. You know, Hey, this is how you, you know, identifying that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you said something really interesting as well, the balance between how you and your wife process information. So something yeah. that we do on our analytics section is we provide overviews everywhere. So we have, for example, this highlights page and on this highlights page, you have, very, very clear information on what did your student do within the last week or within the last month. If you want to learn more, go to some of the other pages. And then on those pages, we also offer additional information. So for you, if you just want an overview of the information, like how many hours did your child spend playing math games? How many questions did they answer? You have that information really easily accessible. Great. But then maybe your wife wants to get a deeper understanding about some of, um, about like, how many specific questions did my student play on Monday versus Tuesday? You might not care, but she might. So then she can get that more detailed view. And it's very easy to navigate and click around and go to these different places. And then if you throw an educator in there as well, maybe an educator wants to go all the way back to a year ago because they want to see the trends. They want to see a comparison between what was a year ago versus now. So then they can see a year long view you might want to focus more on the three month view. So we offer all of those different options because we understand that people want to see so many different angles on how students learn because there's so much information. So we really just try to like give all of that information with drop downs as well. And we've talked so much about the design and the like feasibility of looking at all of that information, the display and making sure that you're able to navigate all of the different components. How old are y'all? <laughs> I'm 22, you're 20. <laughs> And y'all, I'm telling you, it literally took me a half a century to figure out how to do this with my business model. And that even now when we present information, we've got, we, we tell folks, hey, the top half are for the people designed like Span. The bottom half is for the, the people designed like Laura. Yeah, right? no, that's, that's, that's very huge. interesting. Yes. And in an internal sense, I actually, one of the first things we did right after the ski lodge call was figuring out how we were going to write what we call project guidelines yeah. um, for our team members to do projects. And the way that we've settled on for that is essentially the exact same thing that you said, where it's like the goal is always right at the top and the context of why we're doing the project. And then there's like the little action item section where it's just a list of like the big picture, like these are the six things. And then there's a little horizontal line. And then below that, it, all of the individual, like those six action items are built out in all their component parts. And that's where we do like, Bobby's doing this, it's due on Tuesday, et cetera, et cetera. Put the little green check mark when it's done. Hourglasses for things that are in progress, granular, granular, granular. But there's like the half page summary at the top. And that's something that I am super proud of. That's like my HR, like 
passion just yeah. spilling out of myself. Which is funny. Yes. I hear that. And like my wife is a list person, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Me, the only reason this thing is filled out is because I've started lists so many times that I didn't even get halfway through it that I had to start another list because I'm trying to be a list person, but I'm not a list person, right? Kylie actually taught me how to write these project guidelines. I started off by just having a few bullet points. I'm like, we have to make a game and we have to design a graph. And then we're like, okay, what does it actually mean to do these things? Because like anyone can have an idea, but actually figuring out how to implement something is really the challenge in my mind. Like if I have an idea, I'm like, I want to make a game. It takes a lot of skill to figure out first, you have to have the idea for the game, figure out what the math content is, design it, iterate on the design. And then how do you actually start building it? You need an infrastructure for the game. You need to do this feature, that feature. Um, And that actually was like, so our initial version of our games, we literally deleted all of that code because the way that we built it was not strategic. And then we redesigned it and we completely reinvented the wheel and we wrote down the very, very clear steps for how do we actually design these games and develop them to make them scalable. Did I just hear you say you had to take a pivot? It wasn't just a pivot. (laughs) Literally, we had like in our code base, think of just like folders on your laptop. Um, We had old game code, new game code. We deleted old game code and it was the most amazing day ever. Becky and I, the VP of technology, we like high-fived, hugged. It was great. Just like being able to delete all of that. Like, yes, it's a pivot, but I just like, it was a, I feel like we just like tossed something out in the garbage, just like made, shipped it overseas to never see it again. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, right? It's kind of like garbage in is garbage out, you know, throwing good money at a bad problem, whatever it is. And that's, I think that's the hardest thing for folks in business, especially entrepreneurs is because they're trying to force that square peg into a circle right. when you're like, just find a circular peg and it's gonna go a little bit easier. And it was tough. Yeah. Like it was, we were banging at that for so long. And then at some point I was like, you know what? The reason why we're banging at this for so long and it's not working is because it's just bad. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and it's also too, because, um, so I've done a lot of these uh, since the pandemic, but I've done a lot of speaking engagements. And the platform is the biggest liar in the room is a person in the mirror, right? And, you know, we all lie to ourselves, priest and president. And that thing, you know, ego, entitlement, blame, shame, you know, is what I call the quadrant of death gets in there because you're like, man, I just, I threw so much energy at this that you carry all this weight. And then once you make that decision to just go, no, we'll scrap it and do this. And you're like, why the hell did I wait that long to do that? (laughs) Right? From my point of view, and I have an interesting, I haven't even talked to you about this really, but I often find that when people do not want to switch to a new idea, it's because when they made that idea, they missed one or more important metrics. And then they are not willing to recognize that there's a new metric that they should be considering. So something maybe for the code base example, without getting into our code base, (laughs) but you guys maybe didn't have a metric of scalability because you made this code base when you were a team of two people essentially, but you're like not thinking about scalability. So if you had been thinking about the metric of scalability at the beginning, you probably wouldn't have designed it like that in the first place, but you probably just weren't thinking about it. You're like, speed, how fast can we build this thing? Like how, how good do the colors look? So like prettiness, but you weren't thinking about scalability or modularity or all of those things. So I, and I love the concept of measurement. So I, this is where my mind goes. I, I, I'm sitting here. Y'all are 20 and 
22. Like I, I'm sitting here going, man, I, I, I'm behind the train here. Like, like I even wrote that down. You know, you missed a metric. You missed a metric. Right? Like, I don't like, know what to tell you, man. That is like that literally sums up like years of pain into a sentence. You can sit there and go like, all right. So then one of the other things you can do after you have more time on your hands when you graduate college is apparently start a podcast and just go through this litany of things of like, hey, just do this. Don't do that. That's amazing. So um, so let's let's talk about let's talk about this. So you had your initial start, you know, your, naturally your own money and everything else into this. Then you got that first 5,000. Uh, I'm sure you've had more investments since then. And then y'all won a, a, a prize of some more investment money at this thing. So what's, what's next now? Right. <laughs> That's Very a million fun. dollar question. So literally million dollar question, right? right. <laughs> well, not a million yet. You know, we'll break even in 2025. Um, but essentially what we're doing now. So I'm a junior. Kylie's a senior. Um, I'm going to stay in school for the next year. And then our goal right now is when I graduate at the end of next year, we're going to go full time. Um, that's really the goal now. And we're literally like starting yesterday and today we're breaking down exactly what it means when we go full time. That was the topic of our walk. You're talking about financially. Yeah. A mix of financially and company goals. So we're saying when we, when I graduate, we're going to give up our high paying other jobs that we already got. um, If we are able to give ourselves some sort of a salary and then also uh, like trust that our company is viable and will actually see the profits that we're projecting. So we're figuring out exactly what that means. We're figuring out what manpower do we need? What website features do we need? What expenses do we have? We were thinking about like, where are we going to live? <laughs> um, and all of these little things. We were literally walking around TCU campus yesterday having these conversations. Yeah, these little things like what state we're going to live in for mm. two years. Yeah, tiny, just <laughs> insignificant, right? Yeah, so it's, and then I think this trip as well has really put into our heads that we're creating something that is viable, that is promising, that people actually need. Um, and it's been amazing to get so much support, whether it's winning a prize or just talking to you, talking to the different people at the competition and people saying congrats, saying thank you for developing this. A bunch of students that were competing as well, they came to me and said, I did this research with Rhett Syndrome. I would love to tell you more. Or my mom is an educator. She works with special needs students. Can I connect you? So many people just wanted to help us. And we're saying what you're doing is great. We believe in it. Um, I even reached out to a lot of the judges and they were just enthusiastic about it. And I think hearing all of that just, it really just motivates us to want to keep working on this and then making that plan for us. If you could only use one word to describe that feeling, and that's a tough question, isn't it? What word would you use? Um, Passion. Yeah. I think just, and other people are saying this, it's like they can just see passion oozing out of me. Um, And I think I've really just gone into that. And like, yes, I've always been passionate about it, but I didn't, it didn't really click in my head that that is what's been driving me through all of this. Like the obstacles are thrown in my face every single day, but like, I'm so passionate about this that I don't really care what comes. Like we're going to get through it. What word would you use for your feeling through all that? Mm, I was going to say euphoric. Okay. It it just feels great. I, I have not been from an entrepreneurial background really before this and a couple little like internships at startups and stints like that. So this is like a new way of feeling high, like sort of yeah. like it's it's a high. It's like a yeah. euphoric, like we're building something entrepreneurial. I get to support her all day long and it's great. Like that is kind of how the feeling is for me. So 
I am often accused of talking way too much, right? It's because I'm an external processor. Like going back to that culture index, right? If I look at somebody who's high detailed and internal processor, you send them all the information and then ask them what questions do you have? And then you send them more information until you finally have to talk on the phone. Whereas someone who's low detail, external processor like myself, I can look at and go, I'll just pick up the phone and call this person because I'm not going to, they're not even going to read. They might read the subject line. Like I, I'm, yeah. like, I don't even look at my, my, my team probably laughs and they're like, they just, they've removed me from so many emails. They were like, he's yeah. not going to read it anyways. Yeah. And, uh, but so I, one of the things that helped me be better is to try to take more and say less, right? So I often think of like one word things. So when you said passion, no kidding, when I met you guys, that that was absolutely yours. The first thing that came to my mind was enthusiastic. And with Becky was analytic, right? And and so and it just just I mean the audience listening, right? Even if they're not watching, they can they can hear your passion, they can hear your enthusiasm. Becky is analytics, so you wouldn't hear anything. She'd probably say three words the whole time we were here, anyways, right? And you know, so that's that's really really interesting that y'all have honed in on this stuff so much. So so let's say in a magic world, hypothetical metaverse, whatever. What is was the new one I learned the other day? This metaverse or something like that. People online or whatever is you go, okay, we've, we've got a no kidding plan set out. We know that this is financially what we're going to need in order to go, you're already succeeding, but to go scale it the way you want to, do y'all have an idea of where you go to find that money? So that's what brought us to Texas, right? Um, so we are applying for a bunch of grants. Um, so right now, this month, we're traveling. We were just in Texas. Um, we're traveling to Minneapolis in the end of April. And then we might also go to Syracuse for another competition. And then we're currently in the middle of a competition that's virtual right now. Um, so we're applying for a bunch of these grants um, and seeing what we can raise through that money. And then whatever else money we need, we're going to try to raise it through donations um, to our company because we don't want to take actual like equity investments yet. Um, and then we will do that later if we need to, but we're going to try to do donations. We have a lot of friends and family that we think would actually want to donate to us. Um, so we see a promise there. And then that is how we're going to raise money for this year. And then next year, we're going to turn to applying for larger grants like um, the Gates Foundation. Um, there's the Schmidt Foundation as well. There's all of these huge foundations that support um, research in the space that we're in. So we're hoping to raise money through that. Um, and then, of course, if that doesn't work, then we'll go to VCs or angel investors. So what helps you get to those folks to for them? I mean, because like anything, like I, I, I've invested in a number of things. And those are the ones that and there's no telling how many have probably never even got to me that would because, look, you know, I mean, I grew up with nothing and have now been very fortunate to be where I'm at in my life. And. Hey, look, when you've got money, everybody comes out of the woodwork, right? So I've built in, you know, boundaries, you know, for there's a certain way to get to someone like me or else I would spend my entire day on the phone to people going, hey, I've got this next great idea. So what are some things that would be helpful for you to get to the folks like me out there that would hear, you know, what it is? You all ever seen Simon Sinek, right? Okay, I, we won't go down that rabbit hole. I'll tell you about it after, but it's you know he's talking about the why, 
right? So like my personal life, like when I'm sitting on an airplane, right? Yeah, which is funny because I refuse to fly anything but first class now. And it's really just a, an entitlement thing of, I didn't even know what it was like to be on an airplane growing up. My first airplane to get on was literally flying to boot camp, right? To go to that attitude adjustment program called the United States Marine Corps, right? And then I would be on a lot of planes, but they were not like the ones that I was flying on there to go, right? But now it's just one of those things when someone's sitting there and they're, they're like, hey, so what do you do? And I'm like, well, I get to create opportunities of trust that I can fight to win for people I care about. That defines me. And they're like, well, how do you? How do you get to go about doing that? Right. And then I can talk about, you know, this is the ins and outs, you know, the what portion of it. Right. So to reach those other folks out there where, again, like me hearing that, hey, we can actually define how your child learns and further, you know, mom might want to dive into it. Dad might just want the highlights. Educator want this. So what do you know yet? I mean, that's kind of in your process. Like, how do we get to those folks to deliver that? I think that? it is still in our, in our minds to try to figure out. I had an interesting conversation with you yesterday that very much is kind of relevant to this in my mind, at least. Like the scarcity of abundance conversation. Yes. So the conversation that I had with Adele yesterday, we went out to some events over the last couple of days, of course, being here. And I was like, those events all went fine. Do not worry about it, sis. Like, you're good. <laughs> But something that came up to me was I approach conversations with especially high value people, but really with anyone um, trying to create like a mutual value exchange. Um, I'm coming at the conversation from an abundant perspective of I already have enough. I'm not desperate for your money. I'm not desperate for the secret you're going to tell me, et cetera. Rather, like I'm going to share my secrets like you missed a metric or whatever it is that I have that's relevant to the conversation. And they're going to want to share as well, because if they are a high net worth, high value individual in whatever way, monetary or otherwise, honestly, um, they have a lot. And I bet that they already feel abundant. So if I'm coming and trying to be scarce and leech off them, like that is not who they're going to share with at all. Um, that's just like negative. And that's like makes them feel stressed. Like high net worth individuals do not want to feel stressed. So like y'all already got enough of that when your 17 <laughs> businesses are running. Like I do not. Little Kylie does not need to make you feel stressed. And you're never going to give me anything that way. So that's, that's the theoretical in terms of actually like getting across the table from people. That's the part where I'm not as great at because it's like, that was not in my background at all. Like I'm from cornfields and running outside with the cattle. Like that's not what we did back there. So that's the part where I need to, the, yeah, that's the part where I need to improve. The thing that stresses me out is like, I'm going to like use the wrong salad fork at the wrong time. And someone's going to think I'm like unsophisticated. So that's the part I have to refine a little bit, but I feel like when I'm in the conversation, and haven't like had my dinner catastrophe happen, then I can kind of take that. So there's there's some things I feel like I'm confident on, some things I'm not at this point. We work so well together is because we both come from different backgrounds mm -hmm. and we can share these different perspectives. So I feel strongly that I can reach into my family's network and find people that are invested in our company and want to help us. I think my background also, um, all of my parents and their family friends, we all they all immigrated from the Soviet Union with less than zero dollars in their pockets. And they all started working and, th and they understand the value of education and using education to then become successful. I don't know how it happened, but like my dad's friends are successful. So, and they all also know about me and what I'm working on. So I feel confident that if we need to raise money through friends and family, 
we will have that network. My grandma the other day called me and was like, hi, I want to invest in your company. And I'm like, grandma, do you even know what that means? <laughs> um, so we'll see. But it's just like a sweet thing because I know that people around us are passionate and want to help us. And then we will have conversations, figure out exactly how to pitch to them. Mm-hmm. Think about what is our story? What exactly are we asking for? We'll know how much money we need. And then we'll go through with it. And I'm very confident, especially after this weekend, that people see the value in our company. They care about it. They see that it's we're mission driven. We actually care about it. We're trying to help the world and we'll be able to raise money um, when we need to. And it's really interesting just to hear that even though you might not have the total answers, you're thinking about the questions, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's what took me a long time to learn is, is it's about finding what the right questions are. Because someone's always got an answer to whatever the question is, but you just got to know what question to ask. And you use the word that I actually use in our core values, which is the value exchange, right? So like all my businesses, we live by two core values. The first core value is the value exchange. I must trust you. You must trust me because one side is lopsided, lopsided. Somebody's in the convincing business. I don't have the time and energy to convince, nor do I have the time and energy to be convinced or convince others. So as long as we have that value exchange, that unlocks the second uh, core value, which the value proposition is that your money is always going to be more important than my money. And because of that, right, that value exchange leads to that value proposition has allowed us to be very, very successful. But if the value exchange is not there, right, that's so for you to understand that concept. That one, I didn't even understand what that meant until 2013 when I was doing my MBA. And the first time I heard that word, I was like, whoa, that just blows the doors off. And then and then leaning into that and understanding, God, y'all are, I am so jealous of y'all. Y'all are light years ahead of me. So um, in, in, normally at the end of all of these, I, I go, well, let's go back to 20-year-old self. Well, being at y'all are 20-year-old self, let's uh, <laughs> let's go back to a year ago. If you could go back to a year ago. And you could tell yourself only one thing, like either do this or don't do this, or don't worry about this. If there was only one thing you could tell yourself a year ago, Adele, what would you tell yourself a year ago? Whoa. Um, I would say it's okay to make mistakes and you should ask for help. And it's okay to trust other people. I think those are the three big things that I learned in the last year. And Kylie, what would you? Very similar to what I already said. Mm -hmm. I think I would tell myself to stop being scarce. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just a mindset that I had. Just just so you know, y'all are anything but scarce at this point, right? I mean, y'all are like just light years down the road. Yeah. That's incredible. Okay, so whether somebody wants to be a donor, they want to give you money, they want to learn more about this program, where do they go? How do they find y'all? Email me at adele at ailearners.com. Okay. Um, and visit our website, adele-learners.com. You can take a tour of our website as well, and you will see my contact information on our website. Okay, fantastic. Can, can we rerun yeah, that? Because um, in when you say the email, you should say ai-learners. ai-learners. with the website. Okay. Yeah, so, we'll do that. so ai-learners. And we'll make sure we get all this for the audience out there. So that way it's on our website. That way... Uh, uh, for the audience out there, if you're driving down the road, you didn't have a chance to catch all that. We're going to have all the links and everything else on there for you to be able to go to myexperiencedrealtor.com. Then you just click on the podcast button, come down to Kylie and Adele. 
you will have all the information to be able to reach out there. And again, if you're ever looking to buy and sell real estate anytime, anywhere on the planet, just go to that homepage, click find a trusted professional. We'll make sure you get connected. Kylie, Adele, thank you for coming today. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. All right. What'd y'all think? That was fabulous. Yeah. <laughs>